Hey there, it's David. Thank you for joining us in the post-apocalypse. A quick disclaimer before we begin. Gwen had more than one mic plugged into her computer and accidentally recorded to the wrong one. So her audio this episode's not quite up to our usual standard, but we didn't exactly want to re-record the whole episode. So I cleaned it up as best I could, and I think it's pretty listenable. Anyways, that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hello, folks at home. Uh, welcome to the post-apocalypse. Today we're talking about the between ghosts of El Paso with our full cast from the game. If everyone just wants to go around, just uh, give your give your names and voices real quick so we have them on the record. I, of course, am your Green keeper. Character you played. Oh yeah, that's important. The, you know, Pat, this is why we keep you around, man. Like you know, you you got all sorts of good ideas. I'm just here. trying to stick true to the format. That's it's right. usually name a little quip and then the character you play. Oh, you see, my problem is I don't remember the format it's been so long since we recorded a post-apocalypse it's been like eight months since we recorded a (laughs) post-apocalypse so it's been a little while uh i'm david i'm the keeper of monsters and mysteries here uh technically that's for monster of the week i'm just the keeper in the between but and i'm the host of this uh, podcast it would be of threats and keeper of Threats and I mean, masterminds. I our, our our analog for monsters is ghosts, isn't it? Of like ghosts and threats. Ghosts and threats. Would ghosts be and good. threats is pretty good. For ghosts anyway, and masterminds. Would ghosts also and masterminds good. is also good. Uh, passing it around the room, Emma. I am Emma. I play Lorelai Chambers in this game. That's right. The inevitable. Pat or Patty, if you're nasty, a. and a uh, and I played. Marshall Jefferson Stockley, the Marshall playbook. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm Gwen. I played Angel Flynn, the bootstrapper. Oh, hi. Uh, I'm Dave. I played uh, Brother Gideon Lovelace, the lost. That's right. And uh, today we're doing the post-apocalypse. The post-apocalypse is a cast-wide retrospective on the arc. Uh, where we're going to discuss a few core topics and then whatever else we kind of stumble along into along the way. Uh, We're going to begin with a system reflection, talking about our experience playing the game uh, and kind of focus more on the game itself. And then we're going to do stars and wishes, uh, where we're going to discuss more like how we enjoyed playing in it with like the story, the characters, that sort of stuff. And then kind of what we would wish for next for our characters. Then we're going to do a behind the scenes where we talk about anything else that just kind of wasn't captured by those other two topics. Uh, included today are going to be uh, a session of fuck, Mary kill between the characters because we didn't do that in setup this time. And uh, some alternate theories about some of the threats uh, because that we have some some audience suggestions and then also anything else that people were thinking about that just didn't make its way in. Uh, then we'll do some listener questions and then we'll end with a, a kind of a what's next for the show segment. So. Without further ado, let's first talk about the system a little bit. We're going to kind of round robin this for everybody, so be noodling on what whatever you're thinking. Anyone can start, though. But we're just going to talk about how we felt about the between, and specifically uh, Ghost of El Paso setting module for it. 
Uh, does anyone have anything they want to start with? Otherwise, I certainly could. I was going to say, David, actually, you have the most experience with the between as a That's game. That's true. I have some thoughts on the system, and it'll be pretty brief because I don't have the knowledge and experience yeah. that you do with it, and I don't want to say something that you're going to say. Yeah, Actually, I would love to go last because then I can kind of cross-reference everyone else's thoughts with my experience with the base game. So, uh, I really liked The Between. It's probably one of my favorite systems that I've gotten to play in. I think it's a good marriage between Jason Cordova's other main game of Brendelwood Bay and like Apocalypse World that started off PBTA as a system. Uh, I agree. I think it it's a good marriage between the two. And yeah, I just I just really liked it. I'm a I'm a sort of a simp for like Western theme anyway, so I was excited to play it because of that. And then uh yeah, I just I just thought it was really fun and I didn't feel as anxious playing this as I did Brendelwood Bay, uh probably because I kind of was already familiar with the mystery system after playing Brendelwood Bay and it's a very similar system. So it was it was just easy and fun to just dive in and just play it so yeah i agree um i'm really really happy that we played uh brindlewood bay when we did and then we came to this and honestly i'm really glad for all of the experience we had uh we have had playing different uh powered by the apocalypse games at this point because like Having all of that experience, I feel like, helped us really sink our teeth into what there was in this setting in this game to play with. And it let us, like, immediately get into the groove of playing with it. And I can't speak to whether or not we would have that experience if we hadn't played the other stuff, but I did find that having played the other games that we've played, like, really did help me get into the groove of this game pretty quickly. And like, it's up there for, it may be, I don't know if it's my favorite playthrough that we've done as far as like the, the characters and everything, but I think it may be my favorite game that we've played on mic. Wow. High praise, high praise. And that's saying something because to unseat the watch is like <laughs> pretty tough. Dave or Gwen, any thoughts? Fine. <laughs> Dave is like, yeah, ditto. <laughs> Staring at my plate. Um uh, I apparently so I didn't play Brindlewood Bay. Mm-hmm. Um I wasn't part of that group. Uh hey, this is great because you all have the perspective of not having played Brindlewood Bay. So and apparently this is an offshoot of that. What I found fascinating about this game compared to I believe both the ones that I was in, uh, the, the the base Apocalypse World and mm-hmm. what, what is that, Undying? Yeah, it? yeah. Um, both of those, you picked your character, basically you were picking a character class to 
to use some dreaded, oh, mainstream terms. Um, yeah, yeah. But in this game, you pick characters. Like, the, the each of these, each of the playbooks in, uh, in this game, I found it fascinating, are specific characters. They're not archetypes. They're not character classes. They're not broad swaths. They're pretty focused. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's pretty fun. It's almost like jumping into a pre-made almost. You get some decisions, some agency about as to how to make that particular character, but the lost will always be a fallen preacher, um, mm-hmm. uh, just living a lie and torn between himself and the faith he once held, um, and the humanity that he has fallen or embraced. You know, so so there are notes that you can that you can change, but ultimately. Each of this this game's playbooks are a very specific character, which is to me is fascinating. It's just, it's just it definitely um, falls into that that category of uh, flexing your artistic muscles by putting barriers for yourself. Because I know uh-huh. a lot of yeah. artists, if you just tell them do a thing, they'll be like, "Great, fuck if I know what to do now." <laughs> give them some constraints, then suddenly they can do some pretty magical stuff. And I think that's that's yeah. that's a pretty. I'm not going to call it like a stronger point because I personally really enjoy character class systems because um, it because it lets you pick and choose and build entirely different characters using the yeah, same totally. playbook. Um, but this definitely has its own upsides. And so I think it's a great it's, it's a great side grade, we would call it. Yeah. And uh, the Vidya for those of you who also play those. <laughs> you make an excellent point, Dave. Uh in like apocalypse world you could easily have like two gun luggers or like big asterisk i'll add is that for apocalypse world there's explicit in the text uh you should only have one of every playbook because like this should be the gun lugger and it should be the you know etc sure but but you could like they could be very different characters you could easily have two like gun luggers and it makes sense in a party whereas like in this game, you can't have two inevitables. There's only no. one death. Mm-hmm. You know? As far as we know. And in I, a small western town, you're really only going to have one preacher. You're definitely only going to have one sheriff or marshal in my situation. You know? Mm-hmm. There's, there's probably only going to be one saloon owner in the town. You know? Certainly only one saloon owner who it would be like interesting to play the story of probably because if there's like a rival saloon owner that sounds like a fun thing for the bootstrapper oh yeah yeah what were your thoughts Gwen? uh yeah so like dave i didn't play brindlewood bay so i I think this run through is not as comfortable with Mm -hmm. the storytelling and what the limits were and what the limits weren't on uh, what I could do or not do. But I loved the mask system. Yeah. I loved that, uh, that ability to build and deepen your character as you play them. So I thought that was, that was great. Uh, and I liked the mix of structured uh, clue searching 
to solve a mystery, uh, as well as uh, us being able to give input and help guide the story itself, make it unique to us, and die rolling. <laughs> yeah. That ever-present terrifying die roll where you've done everything you possibly can <laughs> but it all comes down to that die roll <laughs> so. yeah uh i think the threat resolution mechanics of the between are and this is strong words coming from me because like uh, context brindlewood bay is my favorite ttrpg i adore that game so much but it is like it is no frills. Every like every piece matters. Very basic implementation of the mystery system, and like mysteries are very straightforward. It's like somebody has been murdered, or something like that has happened, and each time the only question you answer is like what happened. Basically, it's it's a who done it, right? Whereas with the sort of branching solutions you can have with threats in the between, it's the clean. I would say like upgrade of that system to being more robust and being more uh, free form to the players while still having enough scaffolding to get that same feeling of having discovered something or, or having uncovered something. Yeah. I, I think it's like remarkably well executed and with just a few small tweaks with like how it works, it doesn't even necessarily feel like a direct inheritor of Brindlewood Bay, unless you're like already familiar with the system. Mm -hmm. um it obviously is from a mechanical standpoint but the sensation is different when you're solving a mystery answering a whodunit in brindlewood bay versus what do we do to make the ghosts kill dr clarkson that's like those are different problems you're theorizing about and different <laughs> different situations you're dealing with and uh, i really like i mean i adore how the, the between plays um and ghosts of el paso as a setting. So the, the base game of the between is uh, inspired by things like uh, Penny Dreadful. It takes place in London and like Victorian London. Um, there's like the original mastermind for it is like a direct threat to the crown in some fashion. And that has particular vibes that are, are very fun to play in and all of the playbooks in the same way that they are in El Paso, where as was mentioned by, by Dave and Gwen, both and, and Pat as well, like there's incredibly focused the types of characters that the playbooks develop because of how the masks work and because of how they they sort of give you some scaffolding that directly gives you the themes that this character is going to explore through the story. I think Dave said it best. You're not picking a class. You're yeah. picking a character that yeah. you're going to play. It's really cool to see the ways, because uh, like with a lot of character class stuff, what you are picking is the way that you fight. Um, in one way or another. And that's very much not the case in the between. I don't know how it is in the uh in the base, but in Ghost of El Paso, you like you're picking a set of themes and like you get to decide how you relate to those themes. Yeah. I there are a lot of different ways you could take any of these playbooks, but they are going to be like the the bootstrapper is always going to be a story of somebody who like comes into this saloon and finds ways to to like get there well like built built the saloon from the ground up yeah and 
has has formed a place in this town and kind of in some ways is responsible for the town itself. But actually, that's kind of interesting, too, right? Because like that story always has the option of coming to light and is most likely to come to light. But there is also always the option of a lot of those things not being canonically put into place. You don't have to use masks. If you don't have to narrate the stories. If you roll really well or if you let failures ride, like I didn't end up using a single mask when I was playing and I had a couple of opportunities. Except mask of lonesomeness, but we all did mask of lonesomeness. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, except the mask of lonesomeness. Uh, Yeah, like it is, it's an interesting interplay because you can absolutely take it in a wild direction if you want to. Um, But it's also kind of wild to play through the masks. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, Gwen did a really good job of playing through her masks. She put on the most masks out of any of us, which we're not to the stars yet. And this is sort of a soft star. Uh But uh, Gwen usually off edit that you guys hear complains about her lack of improv skills but she fleshed her character out more in narrative storytelling than any of the other three of us did so i just want to give her and it was good yeah uh so i just want to give her props and i never want to hear you say that you're not good at (laughs) improv again you can say it if you feel it it's okay but well, and we disagree. It was also less improv than you might have thought because I was thinking of about those masks for a while, like during the sessions, yeah. and like I was in my head hashing out, you know, where I wanted to take it. So that's where I, I say I'm not good at improv because I'm I'm not good like at on the spot. But when I can see this, okay, there's this mask. And this story, I can spend some time putting it together, and then I have some confidence in what I'm going to say. Yeah, I think that speaks to what I think the greatest strength of The Between is, which is, uh, you you can think of it either as well-defined scaffolding, uh, or you can think of it as distributed cognitive load. And what I mean by that is, The game itself is phased, so certain things only happen in certain phases. So anything that doesn't happen in the phase that you're currently in, you can effectively ignore. That's cognitive load you don't have to to think about. Um, Your characters are, that's as as we've talked about extensively, are characters. uh, And they have bits and pieces of them that are canonically known, just not expressed in the story yet. And so because you have this outline of of mask questions that you're, you're probably going to answer throughout the story, you have all of this built-in scaffolding to build that up without having to start from scratch. So again, it it reduces cognitive load in even just like defining certain aspects of your character. It already fills in some of those gaps for you. And I think a critical thing there is it doesn't fill in too many. It still leaves a lot of vagaries for you to populate and be creative with. But it it gives you an appropriate amount of scaffolding. The game is well-zoned. It's just brilliantly executed. And uh, I had a ton of fun playing it. We could linger forever in talking about kind of thoughts on the system, but we do have several topics to get through. So 
Let's, I think the general consensus is we all liked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Go just ahead, I did have one critique. Yeah, let's hear it. My one critique is that you cannot achieve a level up in a single <laughs> day. It's true. You can't. <laughs> I think you can, but you just will have you have to get both of your Dawn questions. No, you only have a maximum of five uh, questions to answer, and you have six slots to get to the first. I think you can if you take a move and use that move that gives you a point of experience. Yeah, but I don't know if there are any of those in Ghost of El Paso. I didn't like closely review each of the playbooks. I believe there's at least one. I think the inevitable might have one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or it's it's either that or it... uh, Because I know there are some examples of that in, in the between. Or at least I say I know. I'm reasonably sure there are. The bootstrapper does not have that, does not have a move that gives you XP. I know because I I answered all of my questions. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think that's an intentional decision that for the most part, unless you're specifically, and I think to your, you mentioned the watch earlier, uh, Emma, I think that the watch does this phenomenally well too. Doing things that air quotes like game the system to to like score yourself more, whether it be experience or some other mechanical benefit. Um, gaming the system in the between is fun for power gamers who are trying to like have the most effect or, or feel like they are having the most effect. But it's also just getting you to play the game. Like doing anything that's a, a power gaming thing in the between is just you engaging really well with the game. Yeah. So like... Because, like, even if you are too... Congrats, you played yourself, which is to say, the game. Because, <laughs> like, even if you are to try to avoid any sort of failure yeah. on your part, what that does is it makes you flesh out your character more. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, now we get to know some backstory. <laughs> like, Oh, no, character development. Which makes you want to engage with the character. God more. forbid we make the audience be more related to the characters that they're listening to. And hey, I didn't use the masks because I was afraid of failures. I use the masks because they're honestly my favorite part of the yeah. system and I was really yeah. excited to develop Angel's story and and give the girls, you know, the girls uh her story too. So yeah, alongside it. Yeah. Well, I got news for you. You would love Brendlewood Bay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and hey, and hey, I power gamed that you know that first episode, right? Where I did both of my dawn questions in the, <laughs> in the first fucking episode. And but but I did it. But I managed to do it in such a way that none of the other players knew that yeah. that's what I had done. <laughs> So yeah, it totally made sense too. Power gaming because of the question system. Power gaming is uh, codified as role playing. It's just I love the between. It's so clever. It's it speaks so much to to Jason's design philosophy. And we've mentioned uh, Jason Cordova a couple times, but Daniel Qualls, who did a lot of the writing on uh, Ghost of El Paso and, and spearheaded it and and all of that. Uh, phenomenal ideas. Uh, I love I love the setting expansion. I as someone who's a little bit colder on victorian london as a setting and, and and still played the between and loved it uh when ghost of el paso was like announced i was like oh yeah this is for me <laughs> i do have my own small critique yeah, and that is oh, yeah. uh one of the dawn questions for the inevitable 
the thing about the dong questions is that they are things that you have to do throughout the game. And you had the and one. just one of the the questions. The rest are great. And I think that the the idea behind this question is great. It's just about giving the agency to the character because at the moment is it is did you have a misunderstanding with another character because they perceived you as the host. And the problem with making that a dawn question is that it relies on the keeper to give you the opportunity to have a misunderstanding because misunderstandings almost always happen with somebody coming up to you yeah not the other way around it's a it's a t- it's one where you can definitely lean into the role play for but creating the uh, opportunities to exercise it is really beholden to other parties, whether it be other players or the keeper. I think it needs to probably be something like, did you use your human guys... To gain the upper hand? To gain the upper hand, or something like that. Yeah. Something that puts the agency back in the hands of 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 the the player. Yeah, I hear that, for sure. Not that we need to give death any more agency. (laughs) Oh. Before we totally leave system reflection, um, there's also a segment here for uh, what we got wrong. And I always have that penciled in because usually we did. We got something wrong? Oh, yeah. Hey, David. Yeah? Is this the second time that I failed a thing and we've said we'll uh, we'll give you uh, some sort of thing for that later? Some yeah. sort of consequence for that later? Oh. And then we completely forget. Whoopsie doopsie. Yeah, like the poison in, in uh, Apocalypse World. In Apocalypse yep. World. <laughs> just, I'm like, oh, sweet. I can just like poison two characters. And then I just forgot about it. Maybe that's uh, the other one I'm thinking of. I thought there was another one that I specifically had, but I oh, can't maybe. remember what it is. Uh, in this game, of course, uh, you stole a book. And I was like, oh, yeah. And you got a mixed success, I think. It's like, oh, yeah, there'll be a consequence. Oh. Or it might have been a mess. It was and... a mess. And then I was like, oh, I'll put on a mask. And you're like, well, no, here's what we're going to do. You can take the book. And then I'm just going to give you a fun consequence. And then. Things got otherwise so fun in the the final night phase that I forgot about it. <laughs> I think that's fine, though. Yeah, it's fine. I think that's fine. I think I think forgetting that I had failed the poison roll in Apocalypse yeah. World was a much more serious <laughs> mistake on your part yeah, than I probably her shouldn't. failing to take a book. Well, she succeeded to take the book, but. She but there was I a complication. Yeah, she's yeah. got a free book. I just gave her a free book. You know, they say there's no such thing as a free lunch, but apparently there's such a thing as free books. I call hacks. Uh, You've heard of the take a book, leave a book system, right? <laughs> Angel actually has that very system set up in her saloon. That's right. But also, if we had continued to play, or if we do continue to play... It means there is still an opportunity for there to be consequences. It could just be we, we didn't get around to it yet. Yeah, totally. And this would be a very fun game to continue to play. Which yeah. we've actually is. talked about off mic continuing to play this game, just not on mic. Yeah, it's been a blast and I would love to continue it, but we can't just... The nature of our podcast is is set. We cannot just play the unless between we Ghost start, of El Paso forever. <laughs> unless we start an entirely separate podcast. Just for the between. Just for the between. Hey. Which I'm not against, but... Yeah, you find me an editor, let me know. Yeah, I'm not against. Hey, you. Pat, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Uh, was there anything else we got? I, so, because I was pretty experienced with the between previously, I feel like we nailed most of it. 
Um, I think that I, there was a little bit of confusion around uh, around the whole echoes in the night system. Yeah. Um, I and think that's one of the hard, like the unseen and is one of the harder pieces to yeah, wrap your head around if you're new to it in general. But I don't think that you fell down in that. I think you knew what you were doing, and it just took some talking us through. Yeah, I don't think anybody else like screwed up or anything. I, yeah, I don't. We were pretty soft on handling that. I don't think we screwed up that mechanic. I just think it's a challenging thing to es- execute, yeah. and, and, and I think why, it's supposed to be. Yeah, and that's why it's a role play challenge that gives you XP, right? Yeah, like if you have an ex- echo in the night, then you get points. This is a game for people who really like character building and narrative exploration, and not so much and a ghosts. game for people who like hitting things really hard. I mean, that's not true. I like playing games <laughs> where we hit things really hard, but I also enjoyed this game. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that those have to be like separate, separate people. It's just like this is not going to fill, fulfill your your urge to like roll thirty d six. Yeah, disintegrate on a disintegrate. A beat 'em up. This game is not. That's right. Uh, so let's talk about Stars and Wishes now. So we're going to move a little bit. We've chatted a little bit about the things we liked about the Between mechanically. Uh, stars and Wishes is a time to discuss uh, stars, things that we enjoyed about the game. And stars can be mechanical ones, but we have a whole dedicated section to that. So keep this more character or narrative. It's going to be a war- like you can award these to anyone else or something more broadly. This is patting each other on the back. Yeah, this, this is our self-congratulatory pat session. Uh, and then, This is my session? <laughs> patting ourselves in the back session. The <laughs> and then only new jokes only new jokes <laughs> and then wishes will just go around we'll, we'll do a few stars each or as many as people have as long as time allows and then wishes are going to be uh, if we were to continue playing this game what kind of you would hope for next for your character or for the story or, or something along those lines uh, and oftentimes as we get into stars we start dipping into wishes but try not to dip too hard let's let's keep it uh, segmented for now so stars Pat I see you're itching to say something what do you got I gotta, I gotta give it to Dave for the letter about the Civil War, man. Oh yeah, that was fantastic. That 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 may be the greatest role play thing I've ever experienced. That letter broke my heart, man. <laughs> it broke my heart. I have, I have never cried on this podcast before. David has tried on multiple occasions to get me to do it, and that was the fucking closest I've ever been to crying on the podcast. I genuinely do want to give a star to each and every one of us because I feel like we all took these characters and absolutely ran with them. We we did our best to like get into their heads and embody them and really look at how they would approach the world. Um, and I think that led to some beautiful role-play moments all the way through. Pat stole my star. (laughs) (laughs) Stop. Uh, I would like to, I would like to give a star specifically to Pat for uh, talking to the, uh, the lady in white going, all right, sweetheart, starting on the left. (laughs) I forgot I did that. It was like that line in itself almost made me cry. (laughs) I really want to star for everyone for along what you said, Emma, about character exploration. I think I was a little bit worried going into this 
because I didn't know how much time we were going to be able to give it. I originally had predicted we were going to give it three days. We only gave it two days uh, in time, like uh, in-game time. We packed a lot in those two we, days. We did. Uh, and I was like, I was worried that sometimes you can get caught up so much in exploring the threat that you reveal a lot about it and not as much about like the characters. And I just think that worry was pretty unfounded. It's like the deeper we got into the story, even for, I, I think... Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you ended up using any playbook moves. Yeah, no. Like, yeah. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, so, didn't. so, is like, that true? Yeah. So, like, we never got Kasimity, damn it. No. It's, 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 it's such a great, powerful move. But I mean, I say powerful, it's, it feels good. But yeah. there was never really an opportunity for him to go off and yell at the sky about how shitty everything is. And despite that fact, I point to that as an example, like despite like not having any of these like playbook moves are some of the richest way to express your character's effect in the story, right? Because it's like specifically tuned to the playbook you're you're using. And yet, I don't think we came out of that game not knowing who Brother Gideon was. No. Right? Like, because there was every other opportunity that presented itself, like we got that rich exploration. And this is true for every character. Like, I think uh, Gwen, of course, found more opportunities to use her playbook moves through the story we we explored. But then also we learned so much about Angel through those masks that that uh, were applied. So we learned about her past. We learned a little bit about how she interacted with people, how each of you like responded differently to such like two situations. Hell, we even built in Angel's backstory into the theory that yep. we ended up yeah. uh, using against Jebediah. Yep. I believe you mean Fabian. I do believe. I, I do Fabian mean Cryer. Fabian, and I should know, really. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that to me, uh, is both, like, sort of a start of the system for having all these little bits that, like, if you're playing it at all, you're kind of coerced into doing this rich building. But everybody really just sold it. Um, yeah, it was... I, I, I love that. Uh, if there's any, like, specific moment stars... God, there were just so many good moments. Call out your favorite moments. Oh, shit. Um, it's a little one, but this... Uh, fuck, I, I was the one who said don't border on wishes, but yet here we are. Uh, <laughs> I really want to know what happens next with like, with the Bootstrapper, with Angel, and our half of our ma- mastermind duo, the Conductor, who oh, like, yeah. seems to be building some sort of relationship with her. And like how in those scenes, uh, Gwyn like in, encouraged that but still definitely had that bit of reservation like those those little interactions were really fun to role play and explore because like neither of us knew where the fuck this was going it's just like oh like the mastermind's got to show up like all right we'll just have a scene then and then it just we just sort of played it and saw what happened uh and i love bits like that i'm so i'd be so eager to see how the mastermind threat develops over time in this that has a campaign instead of just um a couple of one shots so I love that bit. Uh, I loved summoning the Lady in White uh, by Lorelai in the second episode. Something I think. like that, yeah. Um, I loved Gideon almost getting beamed with a shovel, uh, <laughs> and and then like again, like these moments of like we don't know where the story is going, of course, but like we introduce uh, uh, Miss Carson, and she develops this sort of banter with Brother Gideon, and then like Brother Gideon's like, oh yeah, no, she's got to come to the to the wedding ceremony we're throwing in the night phase. She's got to come to the assemblage. And then like, she ends up being critical and all of that. And like those little the butterfly dichotomy. wing 
story developments. I hadn't I thought about the dichotomy between the way that we solved the Lady in White mystery and the way that we solved the <laughs> Ghost Be Gone mystery. I kind the- of like that they're drastically different mm-hmm. because it shows the two sides of the Vigilance Committee. Yeah. Our our characters specifically, how we played them, because the system itself kind of builds on the fact that each of these characters kind of have a dark side. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see both your like positive side and your dark side come to light. Mercy and justice. Mercy and justice. Yeah. I, I think one of the core elements that shaped this vigilance committee was everyone had a lot of sympathy for people and more so for like sympathy for ghosts as well as people, right? Like that was like kind of central to how we resolved the lady in white mm-hmm. was we're like, oh, like we're going to help her pass on. Yes, she might have been like involved in these accidents that have happened, but it's more a consequence of her existing at all. It's not really like her fault that these other people have died. And that's at least how we ended up rolling, right? That's not how you, because of how much control we have over the narrative. Um, like nothing has to go any particular way. You can you can take it so many different ways when it comes time to answer a question. And uh, I think this vigilance committee was just really sympathetic to people until like there's like there's a line though, and yeah. then with with the ghost begone threat, like we we found that line. And where that sympathy no longer exists. And then we get to see all of the teeth of the Vigilance Committee. And, uh, yeah. So, like, a start of, start of all that. Anyone else have anything in particular they want to point out, Isolate? I want to give a star to myself for uh, for the whole conversation with the chess. Oh, that was fun. With, over the chessboard. And just, like, basically the entire that entire part of uh of the last episode um i'm very very proud of how that worked out and like it's it's a start of me but it's also a start of david for like for knowing how to play chess yeah fair <laughs> uh i was the one who picked it too i could have picked a game you could have picked any game but, but you like, better than chess. i fit. needed the strategy of chess yeah yeah for the for the you needed the cultural clout of chess you should yes. have picked a game nobody knew how to play pinochle there we go <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Play bridge. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, also like just us playing off of each other, knowing mm-hmm. how to how to move the story forward. I think it worked really well. Yeah. So personally, I am particularly proud of myself for coming yeah. up with Fabian's name on the fly. <laughs> yeah. I still don't remember the last name. But I am Prior. really terrible at naming characters. But I just came up with that on the fly in the moment. And I'm very proud of myself for that. Good name. <laughs> yeah, you, it's good. You say you're terrible at naming characters on the fly, but you did it like three times in this game. That's true. You you I created did. your... You, have, you had Melissa Flarkety, oh. uh, yeah. who was your art person you named jose's sister yeah no she already had a name oh did she already have a name yeah uh because she's a set character but she noticed that the last name was the same yeah and ran with that which was very helpful (laughs) i i loved oh god we talk about this like as a module that has a lot of you know pre-built stuff to to live in i loved (laughs) 
how several things emerged organically, like, for instance, uh, like uh, Jose and... Um, I don't remember her name. I don't remember either. It's been a while. That's like, that was a while ago at this point. I don't yeah. remember what her name uh, David and Post either put it in or don't. But <laughs> the relationship between those two characters, uh, which is, you know, described... Like each of these characters exist in the backfill of you know people in El Paso defined by different things in the system. Talia. Natalia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Talia. You got me there. Oh, it's also <laughs> written on this piece of paper right in front of me. Cool. I'm good at my job. Uh <laughs> um, well, let's poof on off of that, off of stars, uh, and talk about wishes a little bit. So these are things, let's try to keep it to one apiece just for time reasons. Uh, something you'd like to explore more in the story, either for your character, for the plot, or just kind of wondering what's next. Uh, let's start with Emma. Um, I really want to, I think that the most interesting thing to me with the inevitable playbook and the way that I've chosen to play it is the ways in which this entity finds connections with humans. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would really love to dig into some of that. I would love to dig into a lot of the supernatural stuff that comes along with it. There's like this yeah. whole, the whole backstory for it involves uh, the other writers of the, of the apocalypse, the other horse horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, and I think that there's some very fun stuff in there. There's there's a lot of fun possibilities. I feel like in some ways I've just gotten started getting to explore. Yeah. Miss Chambers. How about you, Marshall? If I had thought about it back in the retrospective of the system itself, I would have put it here, but it kind of ties into a, a wish too. Uh and this is mostly because of how I role-played this character, the bounty hunter threat, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, yeah, there were only two proposed resolutions to that threat, and it was either convince the bounty hunter that you aren't the person in the wanted poster, or convince the town that you aren't the person in the wanted poster and I wish that there were more ways to resolve that threat mostly because of what me and David ended up doing in the spur of the moment with the Marshall scene with the bounty hunter at the end of our game because how that played out there is no convincing the bounty hunter or the town because I was the person in the wanted poster, just the wrong wanted poster. Uh, He's looking up to see what the question is. So are. I think at the very least, there should be a way to resolve that threat by killing the bounty hunter, maybe, or something. Or something to that extent, or banishing the bounty hunter in some way. Yeah. So the question for the bounty hunter is: How can we prove the marshal's innocence? 
resolve the threat by convincing the bounty hunter and El Paso it's a case of mistaken identity. Yeah. See, I think the miss, like the hard miss on this uh, question means that this threat, as it is described here, is no longer the same threat. That's kind of how I ended up taking it. Okay. Um, but is there a way in the system that it becomes a different threat? So there's a, a thing that can happen in the base game of the between. I actually haven't, I didn't read through the mastermind section of Ghost of El Paso as deeply because I, I knew we weren't going to have time to really get into the mastermind threat. But I know in the base game of the between, the mastermind is either if you leave a threat long enough or if you have a hard miss, can just take threats and they become part of the mastermind's forces. Mm. Um, and I think one way or another, that's kind of what I was going to do with the bounty hunter. Um, so then it becomes part of the mastermind threat. Either either part of what the mastermind has going on or I was going to either involve them with, with talking about you know the four horsemen um, what that would be interesting. Kind of yeah. stuff. You can write a new threat. Yeah, basically, kind of. they were going to become a new threat. They were no longer the bounty hunter. They still were. They stemmed from there. But the questions to resolve them were no longer going to be the same. Or they might not even be resolvable in that fashion. They might not be resolvable until a later stage. While something is still a threat, they can be resolved as a threat. But like, for example, if the mastermind takes a a threat actor and and adopts them into their forces, I don't believe that that can really be resolved in the same way anymore. Again, I'd have to review the mastermind stuff for the between, but uh, it it changes how they're treated in the narrative. They're no longer the current monster of the week. They have blown up beyond that. They're they're now a bigger thing than that, than what they were before. So you would probably need a certain number of mastermind clues to start to... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, we'd, we'd get to explore that as we played more of the game. Uh, but I, I would love to to see, you know, where that would take us. I, yeah, I mean, we, I left that ambiguous, A, because I, I love endings for our arcs that are both closed in terms of handling the major themes and uh, issues of the arc while still leaving, open. Yeah, leaving openness for further play. And I think we did a great job. With, and in this case, the bounty hunter and the mastermind are open. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that about covers that wish uh dave how about you oh okay <clears throat> wish wise let's see you know it's weird so whenever I, I i say this like i do this all the time whenever i do one of these uh <laughs> limited run one-offs uh for this podcast i am terrible i'm actually the people people may not know this but i am a complete and total in, in irascible we'll go with irascible for now fraud I don't actually make characters. There's like with each of my characters, there's like a small number of vignettes and then a general behavior guideline that I have. And like, all right, let's get the characters done. That's <laughs> it. And one of the one of the masks that really intrigued me was the your character. Oh, they did. So I have a whole scene in my head of how I would like Gideon Lovelace to meet his end. Um, yeah. Never came up, oddly enough. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was a pretty great scene and it would have been nice to have, if I had been able to use it and have it make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> Dave's, Dave's wish for Gideon. Damn. I just really wanted to die though. Just one of that character just, just fucking get some daisies or lilies. Lilies are a morning flower. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
quick subsequent star for the system because of that. I love how in the between, and this is true for Brindlewood Bay as well, because of how the mask system operates, um, you have such great control over when your character goes. Yeah. And some of that control is taken away over time. If you use up all your masks, you're kind of thrust into like, hey, you've expended all of your expendables. <laughs> face your end. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also itself a willing choice over time, right? So, um, yeah, no. Having in played the between, uh, my I played in the campaign that Jason ran, and the character I started playing as, I had the opportunity to burn through all of my masks and die. And I have to say, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the the last mm, that last scene where they they you know made their end was a blast to play and, and to role play. So yeah, I get that wish. So if we were to do a full campaign of uh, Ghost of El Paso, would would you think that Gideon would not make it to the end? Would that be in the cards? And that's what I. And then I'm, I'm punching, laying eyes on that mask. The scene popped unbidden in my head, and I realized. Mm. That's what I envision as the natural conclusion to his arc. I love that. Gwen, how about you? Wishes? Uh, my wish, in fact, would have been to have been able to play out the bounty hunter uh, mm. story because, uh, honestly, I, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot about Marshall Jefferson Stockley that my character got to know. Mm-hmm. So, like, I met a game above table. I've learned a lot, uh, but Angel, a lot of that was kept from Angel and the other characters because Marshall Jefferson Stockley is a private person who doesn't want to talk about his past. So, that's why I was excited about the bounty hunter because that, that. because that was that would have forced the issue. And we would have had an opportunity to learn about him and his past. And I think that would have offered a lot of opportunity for character interplay and reactions and just development uh, all around. So uh, that was well, that's my wish. <laughs> well, that's kind of the point of that character, though. And I think that you don't get that without a long term play of that. Uh, playbook because the whole point of that character is that he is a former criminal that or they are a former criminal that is now in this lawful position in a town and the sort of imposter syndrome yeah of it all uh and if you're a former criminal that's now a lawman the last thing you want to do is let people in on that secret no, yeah. you you played the character wonderfully and that's why i was excited about the bounty hunter just because the bounty hunter yeah. was going to force the issue uh, i think uh my my hope uh if we do continue to play this in some form uh just for us is that like we can have a threat that is central to each of our characters in one mm-hmm. way or another. So the mm-hmm. rest of the players, the less rest of the player characters have to like band together to help that member. Well, we already had it with, uh, with angel and with, uh, Marshall. the Marshall because angel literally tied Dr. Clarkson into her backstory. Yeah. And then mine is literally 
a result to a mask that I put on. Yeah, both the marshal and the gunslinger might be called something else. They're the the the, the, the kid. The, the kid. The kid. I think no, is the called. name of the playbook. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they they both have master or not master ones. They both have threats that can be put into play based on uh, masks that they've used. And there might be others of those, but those are the two that I can remember off the top, off the doom. And yeah, I I think that especially given because of the the failure on this threat. Um, I think we were going to get more Marshall because the the threat that the bounty hunter posed was about, about to change yeah, and become a lot more active rather than behind the scenes. So. I think if that played out, I think it would have gotten out in the town yep. about the Marshall's past. Probably. I think there's something... I think there could be something very interesting with these characters seeing how far each of them has to be sort of pushed and cornered before they ask the rest of the Vigilance Committee for help. Yeah. I think my wish, I want to see, I want to come and see. Yeah. Ah. Ah. Star for that as well. Yeah, I, I think I gave you a star for that at the end of that recording. But I just, I just want to come and see, you know? Come and see. Uh, it's such, come and see. It's such a good, simple biblical verse. I mean, yes. that's only part of the verse, but it's the important part of the verse. <laughs> I can already see the merch. <laughs> oh, incidentally, a, a gold star for everyone, because we all gave brief outro things, and then we each thought of something. Like I think we literally each realized we could add some an extra bit of spice to each of our scenes, which yep. just yeah. made each of them so much better. Yeah, I want to give David a star, because... In the original recording of my little, I'll call it epilogue, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't have the line, I need a bath, and that definitely needed to be there. So I thank David for saying, <laughs> oh, you should say, I need a bath. And I'm all like, fuck, you're right. <laughs> I'll, I'll consider that a behind the scenes. That's the section we have next, post-wishes. Um, well, we can move that there. Yeah. Well, I'm just I think like we're we're moving out of the stars and wishes into behind the scenes. That's a great detail. That's like this show is produced. And so a lot of things are off the cuff at the table. And we talked about a few of those uh, earlier with kind of how things naturally organically developed. And then some things are kind of like workshopped while we're there at the table. And if you're if you're on our Patreon and you you get access to the bloops, then like you have a much better, a much clearer understanding uh, about some of that than uh, your average listener. But that's something that we do do. Um, I don't know if I have. We have a couple of other segments uh, for this segment, but I don't know if I have any other like crazy behind the scenes details for this arc. The only thing I would mention is most of our arcs we try to record as quickly as possible, as close together as possible. This well, was so slow and so drawn slow out. and so split up. It's why the whole thing ended up so long is because we just ended up giving ourselves so much more time to do it because we kept recording in like micro sessions by our standards. I still don't think. It beats Monster of the Week for how many recording sessions? Oh, we were recording sessions. That it might be tied, but it is longer than Monster of the Week. It's officially our longest arc. Um, oh well, yeah, because of the half episodes. Yeah. Uh. Well, it, and by average, uh, it's like last I checked after releasing the finale, it was like twenty, twenty or thirty minutes behind. But once we tack on the post apocalypse, it will be longer than Monster of the Week. Wow. All right, that's fine. We can move on from that section and get into the other interesting stuff. Yeah, uh, there's not much to cover in behind the scenes, but there is some fun stuff to do. Let's still keep this brief. You, 
you know, it's it's honestly more fun if you have very little in the way of justifications. But let's play fuck Mary Kill with the characters. Fuck yeah. Um, I go last. You go last. Okay, <laughs> I'll go first. I don't okay. care, Marshall. I have uh, mine down. I've had it down since before your, we recorded. What's your fucking way to go? Uh, He's known since day one. I've known since day one because I was anticipating it in the fucking uh, the setup. Setup. The fucking setup. The fucking setup. Uh, come and see. <laughs> All right, I was waiting for it. Uh. So, uh, fuck is going to be uh, Lorelai Chambers. Really? Uh, because she has the death touch uh, <laughs> thing. And it's made very clear in the description of the Marshall playbook. I think it ends with, yeah, the very last line is you'll do the best to prevent anyone dying, but if someone must, you hope it might be you this time. <laughs> uh, so the whole the whole point of the Marshall playbook is that they kind of hope for death. They kind of wish for death. So yeah, uh, he would fuck Lorelai just to die. If you're gonna go out, I guess. If you're gonna go out, go out fucking death. Worst you know, ways to go. Our worst ways. To yeah. Go. All right. What's your others? Uh, the Mary would be Angel Flynn, mostly because I think there was some chemistry starting in the scene in my office, and I'd like to see how that plays out. And then uh, that just leaves Brother Gideon for kill, but I do have a reason behind it, and <laughs> uh, Dave kind of made the decision that much easier with something he said earlier. Uh, I just think other than the marshal, the other character that just wants to die is brother Gideon. And I would be happy to make that happy happen for him. (laughs) Going to do him a solid. Cool. Fun. Love that. Uh, Dave, how about you Uh, for brother Gideon? What's, what's the fuck Mary kill like? Oh, okay. Um, I think Funk is definitely Marshall Jefferson Sockley. Oh, yeah. Yo. It's a quick wham-bam, but don't want to get entangled with that mess. Jesus Christ. Dude, I'm not issue. plan B anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, in a very way, isn't Funk literally plan B? Because Mary yeah. definitely, um, I always forget all the things. Um, Angel and Laurel. Angel. Yeah. Mary Angel. There are worse things than being married to a proprietor. Of a bar, saloon, bathhouse, all that kind of jazz. Oh yeah, that's another thing. If I marry Angel, I get free baths. Yeah, and I, and I think and I think so. In, in addition, Angel seems so far, honestly, kind of the least fucked up of us. <laughs> True. Why, why wouldn't you want to put a ring on that? And then kill death and live uh, forever in an eternal hellscape of our own creation. Oh right yeah, on. right on. <laughs> when uh how about angel what's what's the fuck mary kill so mary yeah no one yeah angel is an independent woman she is not getting married uh, that means you have to double up on one of the other ones <laughs> <laughs> okay you're either fucking two of us or killing two of us <laughs> streets or are, inventing a third the a streets category. are running red baby <laughs> so 
so fuck. Uh, I guess it's a threesome with Gideon and, and Jefferson, Marshall Jefferson. <laughs> Stop, please. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the streets are running white, actually. <laughs> Come and see. <laughs> How is it that this is our dirtiest episode? I don't oh, it's know. not. Monster the, the monster of the week finale, man. <laughs> and I guess it's kill to kill death. Then? Is that what's kill more like? Uh, by default, because <laughs> <laughs> kill death and live in a hellscape of your own creation. That's right, uh, Lorelai. Uh, fuck Angel because she knows what she's doing. I think. Yo. Uh, and I think Lorelai needs that. Um, marry Gideon uh, because they already have a good working relationship and in some ways he's already married to death and uh, kill the marshal because he wants to die anyway so let's go everyone gets what they want <laughs> wow exactly except for Angel if she didn't like yeah want to really if she wasn't that into it but then if she wasn't that into it it wouldn't happen so <laughs> so that's our our fuck marry kill landscape uh, a good, a good group. I'll say. Uh, let's. We're gonna branch a little bit. Uh, we're gonna talk about. Uh, we're gonna go back and talk about some threats again. We're gonna talk about theories a little bit. Uh, specifically, right before we had our episode release, where we theorized about Ghost Be Gone, uh, our sort of final, completed, successfully handled threat in the in the story. Um, I asked if other people's had some ideas about it because I think that like our buildup for the Lady in White was very clear cut uh, for the most part, where like, it was kind of like, clear where we were taking it. But with this one, like we still had a lot of stuff to work out when it came time to debate. Mm-hmm. I would be interested to see some other group play out the Lady in White threat any differently. I do think a it lot kind of, of end up having weddings. It but, kind of begs for it to end in a wedding. Yeah, but I've, not all of them are as peaceful. <laughs> yeah, I think it entirely depends on whether or not the group that is playing the game are uh, benevolent. has any sympathy for the ghosts or yeah. only sees them as monsters. Because if you only see, if you if you consider ghosts only as the creature that is haunting you and causing distress and suffering. And you don't see the person behind that, which I think is the more interesting way to approach it. But th- that may just be, I know it's not just me. Yeah. Actually. So let's, let's talk about some alt theories. Um, I've got two here. Uh, one from Scredley the Ogre, uh, both in Discord and Twitter, but it was on Twitter. Um, is that how you say it? Scredley, yeah. yeah Scredley. I've definitely been thinking Scredlith e Ogre. <laughs> no, Scredley the Ogre. Yeah. How you I, doing, Scredlith? <laughs> Uh, That's my favorite character from the Apocrypha, Scredless. Their theory was, uh, I think the air quotes chemist lady has no idea what she's doing, but is under Clarkson's thumb somehow. So she's mixing together everything slash anything she can find, including her own urine. Also, Clarkson is a demon, probably. Demon would have been fun. So thank you to that listener, because... I desperately, desperately wanted an explanation for that urine that wasn't the ghost. Yeah. We found it. We found found the final urine. It was just, it was just our chemist, you know? Oh no, it was for sure ghost pee. I also, I think Clarkson being a demon is a really interesting route to take it. 
Because... If you had wanted to scare the shit out of me. Oh, I mean, yeah, we could have. Could you done. imagine? Yeah. That's the only way you could one up on that conversation. I always viewed uh, Clarkson as a Dr. Facilier of sorts character yeah. from uh, Princess and the Frog. Yeah, that's kind of how I saw him, too, yeah. as being like one foot in that other world because of the powers it gives you. Friends on the other ass. side. Yeah, yeah. I more saw uh, Clarkson as being someone who had a deal with the demon rather than yeah. someone who was a demon, the, the demon himself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it changes world, the it changes the power dynamic a lot. If Clark's the demon, I I like kind of. I love the idea of him coming at me with all of that aggressive energy of "you don't want to fuck with me." I'm not even of this world, and Lorelai being like, "Bitch." <laughs> <laughs> I'd like. Who do you think sends people to you? <laughs> I'd like to know what the true power of his cane is because you. Uh, narrated uh in yeah. that final scene with Clarkson that he was trying to reach for his cane and Lorelai took it before he could get it. Yeah. I was imagining it was probably like a cane sword, like thin rapier style. I was thinking that it's how he controlled the ghosts. I like that too. And that he was gonna sick the ghosts on it. I do really like the uh the symbolism of it being a cane that he uses to control the ghosts, both because canes are a common y- method of abuse uh and also because it's a literal like crutch yeah i i i thought the can from early on i thought the cane was like a leash of some sort for the ghosts because when the ghost was first introduced it looked like he was using that cane to control uh the ghost yeah, I can't remember if that's actually part of the threat or if that's just an aesthetic decision I made during that scene, but that's definitely how I was conceiving of it as well. Didn't didn't he tap the ground during the demonstration yep. before the ghost came out of the ground? Yes. Yeah. Okay, then yeah, it's definitely something magical. Or that was a little bit of flourish. Yeah. Either way, whether it's power or pageantry, both are very true for Dr. Jebediah F. Clarkson. Oh, I forgot to give you a star for your character voices. Oh, thank you. I think that's a thing that I said to you way off mic, but like you did an incredible job with Except all of Except maybe Elias. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just because my Sean Connery voice is garbage, don't don't at me in the comments. Somebody sounds like that, and apparently it's Elias. Um the, uh, one of the other theories we had was from uh Shell from the Dice Fiends on Podcast Nexus Discord. Um, there, there he was. I think he's some kind of warlock who has to feed souls to his master to keep living after his previous death. And that takes the angle that, like, he is Jebediah F. Clarkson and he died once before, but, you know, struck some kind of deal. And now, I guess, Ghost Rider style is like on a mission. And maybe but, he's a revenant too. Uh, that'd yeah. Be cool. That, that'd be a way to take that it. I would definitely tie those two together yeah. stronger. Yeah, but that theory was false, though. Remember? Oh, that's yeah. true. Well, that's why he's not <laughs> that, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. And these are this like alternative routes, right? I think this one of the reasons I wanted to do this and get some uh, feedback from people listening to the show was to point out, even if you have all the same clues we did and came to all the same conclusions in moment that we did, you still might draw different conclusions when it comes time to theorize. It did not even occur to me that... Uh, 
that it could have been that like he did die but came back and yeah. was still the same person like yeah. that i that was totally out there as an option and i didn't even pick up on it so uh, <laughs> just we're just trickle feeding stars throughout this whole thing but like a star into the system for how uh, innovative and and how flexible the th- you know answer a question mechanic is it's really cool uh that covers everything for the behind the scenes section uh that puts us straight into listener questions uh these are direct questions from some of our listeners um they had a lot of good questions on uh the discord this is always my favorite part of the post-apocalypse yeah. it's what we're here for yeah this is a part i'm terrified about <laughs> it's gonna be okay these are good no these, I, our, I, our listeners are nice yeah. we got nice people we have nice people with good questions. And we actually are leading off with a linking one. That's why I chose this one to start. And this one is actually from Dixon on the Cast Junkie Discord server in our channel there. Do each of you have any alternative theories on what could have been behind the Ghost Begun threat or the Ghost Bride threat? Or even what else outside of Pat's theory could have been going on with the Bounty Hunter threat? I'll narrow this. I think we've discussed uh, Ghost Begun enough because of the other alt theory stuff. Um, but is there anything for either our lady in white uh, or the bounty hunter that somebody was thinking of that you know we didn't end up integrating or or anything like that i thought there was a possibility that the bounty hunter might be connected to one of the other horsemen of the of apocalypse mm-hmm. especially when it was decided that they were a revenant like with that level of supernatural forces working, I thought that might be might be a thing, but that got ruled out pretty quickly as we moved through some other stuff. I think because of uh, the way we went about solving the Lady in, in White, I didn't really have much in the way of alternate theories about what happened with her. You certainly could, especially if uh, you picked different clues to sprinkle through or made up new ones. I mean, I think there's an obvious route where the lady in white is a more vengeful spirit. Yeah. Um, who maybe has been responsible for, you know, multiple young crashes deaths and uh, crashes. Yeah. And, and crashes and other stuff. And, and like, the you mentioned horses. Yeah, four fine, fine horses. Fine, ride. fine, fine horses. Uh, you Confirmed. mentioned Marshall Jefferson Stockley wants to fuck a horse. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there weren't any options in the Mary Fuck Kill. Just saying. Uh, you mentioned in the description of the crash site that there were multiple other yeah. crashes there. So yeah, it's very possible that the lady in white was responsible for multiple crashes and just killing people yeah like there's several ways to take that threat and we went for like that's the thing like this vigilance committee high in the sympathy towards uh you know ghosts and tortured people uh and so like we took a very benign approach like a a benign uh theory i don't think any of us would have sympathy for the ghost of the cattle wrestler though Nah, fuck that guy. That killed. Actually, there's Avery a question. Pryor. There's a question relating to Avery Pryor that we're going to get to in a minute. Okay, uh, but that's not uh, among Scredley's. Let's do the next one from Scredley. I oh, unless I do have sympathy for the cattle rustler. 
Well, uh, so with the lady in white, uh, that could have also, we could have also gone another way where if she had been uh, murdered rather than accidentally killed, that could have taken a different direction and both in how she was acting out as well as how we would handle it. So, yeah, yeah. might have had to like find her murderer in order to like bring someone else to justice. There's also the possibility that she is a murderer herself in one way or another. Like she could have killed, she could have killed her fiance and then uh was uh, murdered in retribution or was running away to avoid getting caught. So yeah, there was a lot of slight variations that could have had large impacts. Yeah. There's a lot of fun options there. I have, I have sympathy for the cattle rustler because the cattle rustler is forced to forever echo his own actions and his dying moments of like, of panic and terror and knowing he's going to die. Fair. And I don't think anybody deserves that. Yeah, and he didn't actually kill anybody until there was the extra effects put in place by the ghost be gone. Yeah. Yeah, there's no evidence that he would have killed Avery Pryor if it weren't for the ghost be gone. That's true. Uh, I've got a kind of a, a couple of rapid fire ones here from Scredley. Uh do you think that the real last thing that the ghost took from the not so good Dr. Fabian was actually his final urine? <laughs> <laughs> I think the final urine was all over the floor. Yeah, fair. Uh, another one, uh, another short one was, so next tavern uh, in town, the happy tumbleweed. <laughs> um, I like the happy tumbleweed as a it's good. I like place that. name. That's pretty good. A rival, but it'd be a rival to the Golden Sun Cup. Can we, uh, you know, a little Maybe. bit of healthy competition in business? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Angel wouldn't view it as such, but El Paso is a growing town. No, no. With how how fast I'm going, that I was going through Angel's masks. More likely, uh-huh. uh, Angel will die, and then yeah. the Happy Tumbleweed is what the Sun Cup would be renamed as by her successor. I like that. That's really cool. Um, this one, uh, this one's also kind of fun. So, ropes, chains, cords, barbed wire. Do you think that this is also what would be needed to properly end the conductor, uh, mm-hmm. half of the mastermind we met? Uh, since it seems he was hanged or or hanged himself with just the rope. Yeah, I I read that question, uh, and I had no idea what they were talking about. And then I list, I re-listened to the whole game uh, a couple of days ago to just refresh the whole story before we recorded this. And I did not notice until that listen through that you had mentioned that he, that the conductor had that like rash yeah. on his neck. And it's all like, oh, that's what that question was about. <laughs> well, and the way that the way that I voice him is because he. he I just has... thought you voiced him because he's old as fuck. No, he's not that old. He, he's a you know crushed windpipe or whatever. I don't know. He sounds a lot older than he necessarily is. Yeah. Uh, the detail I'll add to that is 
there is a fair amount of, I'll say canonical here, but I'll revisit that word in a second, of canonical backstory for the mastermind threat in the story, uh, both the the conductor uh, and the woman uh, who we've met. And uh, like, there's a reason for him being the way that he is. <laughs> uh, that's all david's gonna say and, and like if you want to know more i don't know buy the game read it for yourself mm-hmm. um or play through it or and this is why i mean canonical asterisk the asterisk being there is information in the mastermind threat sort of details that explains a lot of you know the mastermind's goals in a broad way again a lot of this gets fleshed out through play but as is true with any game materials what really matters is what happens at the table. Uh-huh. Uh, and so as we, as the story developed, like we very well, we might have leaned into a different direction and changed some things or how it works. So I don't want to say anything is truly canonical until it becomes integrated in that iteration of the story's story. Um, but there is, I would say, a canonical to the book explanation for that wound on his neck and why he is the way that he is. And it does relate to rope. That is correct. What about the chains, the cords, and the barbed wire? Well, we'd have to explore that through play. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, it's it's a good it's a, it's definitely a, the the right idea because I think for mm-hmm. when binding or or assaulting these these threats, it, it helps to be using pieces of what's defining them to kind of anchor them. You know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and we've now in our canon established ropes, chains, cords, barbed wire as part of some kind of ritual to bind, and you know, now that we've established that in our canon from a narrative perspective, it's interesting if we revisit that later in the story in some fashion. So, I mean, yeah, I can totally see that being at play. Um, what else we got? Oh, this is a fun one. This is more theories relating to our, our conductor character. Do you think that the conductor stole Lorelai's slash death's power, breaking the power to uh, run his phantom train through the wounded knight? Um, I will say... The conductor relates to the train, but there's more going on there. And that that is part of the mastermind threat that gets revealed more as the story goes on. But I think it's that is a fun again, this is something that would like deviate from the canonical explanation, but might be interesting in a, you know, in whatever gets adapted at the table to do. So let's move on to another. This is a kind of a dual question. This is from uh, Morshadi on Discord, Twitter, and Patreon. Uh, hey, Morshadi. So this is kind of a detailed question. So bear with me. But there, there's a question for the players, and there's a question for me. Uh, but there's some context here first. The Between and Ghosts of El Paso use several mechanics to dig deeper into the fiction of whatever story you're trying to tell, from the Janus masks creating personal backstories to the question complexity number driving clue gathering. One of the more intriguing fictional mechanics is the unseen questions, listed as one of the harder concepts in the game. And I think we discussed that a little bit earlier. For the players, this mechanic is presented as a bit of an abstract, something to build the world that's partially away from your view and to set the mood. The world is dirty, brutal, and keeps moving whether you like it or not. How did Avery Pryor's death drive you as players, since you were the ones to describe his final moments? What did and didn't you like about this mechanic? I do really, really enjoy that it gives us some, basically, some storyteller control of our own, overboard yeah. than just our characters, you know? 
I like that. Let's just do that. Um, you know what's funny? I forget completely what I said for my part of Avery's Unseen. Oh, that's right. All the stuff on the walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's just paint yeah. pictures. And invariably, I think, I don't know, it, it kind of feels like we can't help, but um, it almost, I mean, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I've never, never even thought about talking about this. Um, we almost put a little bit of our character into that in a way, like our character's themes, because that's what we're, our mindset is. So yeah. Maybe we can And because help. that's... And that's something that we're sort of asked to do with the unseen, right? Yeah. Like, uh, or with the uh, the whispers in the night part of that. Echoes in the night. Echoes yeah. in the night. Whispers in the night is something else. Um, yeah. Uh, what I was also just thinking about is like, it's sort of a psychological trick, but a good one. Um, by giving us that control over exactly how it happens, we don't chafe or fight or wistfully regret or anything like that the fact that it has happened there's no like did it have to happen that way because we know exactly why it happened the way it did and so it's a way of because like uh like he said about the the world being dirty and dirty and ugly and moving forward no matter what uh, dirty like brutal and keeps moving on yeah dirty brutal yeah uh that stuff is going to happen in this town and it would be very easy to feel like every time it's your fault and it's a failure on your part for not doing something to stop it and i think like the reality is you're just not going to be able to be everywhere at once so this is a way of letting you be everywhere at once and also getting that feeling. I think looking back at it, although the spinning the narrative is fun. If you're an improver like me, it's all like, yeah, there, this is the basic scene. Now Mm -hmm. play it out. Uh, That's fun. But I like that aspect of it, but I think overall I'm not a fan of the unseens because it does take some agency away from the players because it's more like these things are going to happen and it's yeah. just our job to explain how it happens. And it's like with the Avery Pryor unseen. That ends the thing, the the prompt is Avery Pryor dies. Now tell me how it happens. It's There is no option of saving him or some other outcome. It's, it's, it's like, no, this character is going to die. How does it happen? Tell me how it happens. Or like with the tumbleweed, I believe it ends with the, the tumbleweed... So, something stops the tumbleweed from being able to spread its seeds yeah. at the end. Why? Tell me how that happens. It's all like, well, what if I wanted that tumbleweed to take root and start new life? But that's, and I understand that's not the the theme of the game. The theme of the game is that there is this dark stuff. It, part, part of the theme is dark. And that plays into that. And that's cool. But I also like 
having options of how things may conclude? So uh, what I want to respond to that is uh, normally, so my perspective is that normally these kind of scenes would be play would happen anyway, but they would be described and played out by the, the game master, the DM, the keeper, you know, whatever the title is. So I actually, and maybe it's because I'm an aspiring author, but I appreciate the opportunity to to participate in creating that scene so that it's not just a scene that's being set up and and relayed to me uh, by the DM, but actually engaging in it. And by engaging in it, um, the outrage, I think, that at least my character had over this person's death which really was unnecessary, helped drive the determination to stop, uh, you know, to stop this threat, you know, to stop this ghost be gone and make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. And I also like the unseen mechanic as far as the complex trying to place something into the unseen that you call back in the future. Yeah. I, I found that to be very fascinating. It wasn't easy, but it was it was very interesting. Yeah. I think I hear I, I hear what your frustration is with it. I think partly uh you only got to experience two unseens. And there mm-hmm. were ones that I I picked from my collection that the the text gives me. Um, based on their relationship to the, obviously there's one that pertains directly to Ghost Be Gone with mm-hmm. uh, Avery Pryor. Uh, but then there's also, uh, I picked the Tumbleweed one because I just kind of, I liked the aesthetic feel of it mm-hmm. as we wanted to bounce between these two things and ended up tying in really well at the end because Dave and I, I guess behind the scenes note, Dave and I did not coordinate with, I knew that I was going to end with having a bit about the train at the end because I wanted to sneak in that little setting detail as it relates to stuff with the mastermind down the road. And canonically, it like runs along the Rio Rio Grande, like like tracks. And to have Dave relate back to the river and then have this like scene about flooding, and it's like, oh, perfect. Like this just like mind meld unintentionally. And I think he did that because the dusk uh question was about the river. Yeah. Yeah. And you could tell so. that there's a flood coming. I also got to choose that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was like pushing some some things into our narrative. I will say that I like the dust questions. I yeah. do like the dust questions because it, it gives us a chance to build the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think it works really well at like getting us all on the same page about what we're what we're talking about and what we're trying to do. Yeah. Because we like work together in like almost a team building exercise there. Um I think the reason uh, the unseen is structured the way that it is, I think the reason why you would maybe like the answering a question about, you know, El Paso, about the setting uh, in the base game of the between you answer a question about Hargrave house, about one of the rooms and you describe these different rooms of the house that everybody lives in um, uh, as part of your group. But in with the unseen uh, in order to have it be linked from one player to the next, the way that it is, and have it be a, a scene. It's, it's the unseen, right? It's mm-hmm. its own side scene in the night phase. Um, I think you have to have those rails 
for what's going to happen in the scene. So you can give everybody their question ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And then by the time it comes around, they're ready to answer it. And if you didn't have those rails and it was just each person, uh, here's like the seed of the scene. And then you just have this scene in the background while it might work out. Again, I think one of the core design principles with the between is this idea of cognitive load and this, these you know concepts of giving helpful scaffolding. Um, there certainly is a version of you know a table that runs this game where instead of giving everybody the unseen prompts, you just read the kind of tag for that unseen and then let them you know go ham if they feel comfortable with it. But I, I think it just it serves a different purpose than the you know paint the scene questions about El Paso at large, like our question about the river or our question about the campfire stories, that sort of thing. But they, but both uh, give everybody an opportunity to contribute. So I like them. I like that a, a lot about them for that reason. But they are definitely like they serve different roles, right? So mm-hmm. I think it'll also be it would also be fun with a longer playthrough because like the more you establish about the world in your playthrough, the yep. more you can put your own little Easter eggs and like little narrative things uh, throughout questions like that. And also, not all of the unseens are negative. Um, I, I say with an asterisk, I don't remember every unique one for Ghost of El Paso, but I remember when I played the between, like some of them are just, just London, just London happening. And you just play out a little bit of London somewhere else. Yeah. I, they can serve any different shape. And also as a keeper, you can write your own, of course, right? Like you don't have to just use the ones that are provided by the text. So the mechanic functions regardless, but those are really interesting thoughts. I, I like the conversation there. I want to move on to the question that Morshadi had for me, actually, uh, for David. Early on, you mentioned that you didn't want to know what the character's Dawn questions were, which I found interesting. Having the Dawn questions hidden from you could introduce a layer of secret competitiveness between players to fulfill their agendas. Is that something you would want to be read in on or just find out when the morning comes? Also, just a comment. Also, amazing job for everyone. Uh, a round of Arby's for everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> for for, for Dave and Gwen, Arby's has become a, a meme surrounding our show because in our pig smoke game, we act I I made an off I just made a fucking joke and then Zach ran with it and it became <laughs> the meme of that arc. And nice. it's and it persisted. And now it's, it's a meme became, of the show. Yeah. The meme of the thread on Yeah. It's Arby's and who's the keeper. Yep. The two the two jokes that live forever. Um <laughs> but to answer to answer that question, um you certainly can know what the Dawn questions are. I don't think there's anything in the text that says, like, I can't know what they are. I like not knowing, again, with the exception of, as we talked about with, with Emma, that a critique of one particular Dawn question uh, that she had as the inevitable was it kind of requires participation by the Keeper or other players in order to make happen. Um, but broadly speaking, that's not the case. Um, there are little goals for you. And... As the keeper, I like to not know because then it's like a little, it's a little uh, exciting time for me in the dawn phase when it's like, oh, like what questions did you pick? Like, oh, well, I picked these questions. I can go, oh yeah, you did that earlier on. I'd totally forgotten about that. What a great way. Like it's, if I don't have to think about and worry about them, then A, that's one less thing that I have to think about. And B, it's really exciting when the dawn phase comes to see what you all did in order to reach your your goals. Um, And I think, again, like if it ends up being like a little bit of competitiveness between the players for answering all their questions, good. Metagaming is good when the metagame makes you roleplay more. 
and like puts you inserts you more into the narrative like i no complaints love that love that shit uh i think i really like the don questions uh because it is like a mini challenge uh-huh. within the game it's all like yeah I'm, I'm gonna pick these things to try to accomplish just for myself uh and i like that you chose not to know about them because it makes it that much more challenging yeah and it makes for interesting things to like try and force the keeper to role play with you in a certain way without them realizing that they're essentially being set up (laughs) uh yeah and i think it's even funnier and it happened to me where you perfectly alley-oop a scenario for the keeper to play with you on and then the keeper just goes nah fuck that let's move on (laughs) (laughs) because i had that perfectly because the question that i was trying to incorporate in it was uh did you deliver a monologue that talked about the cruelty of justice or something like that uh or deliver a cold monologue about the cruelty of justice uh, and I set it up beautifully with setting up the bounty hunter at the same time where fucking I described that the deputy found the wanted poster on the wall and then makes his way to the marshal. And then David's all like, all right, let's move on. It's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> I set it up beautifully. He was going to confront me about the poster and then. Sometimes that's how it happens, man. I was going to deliver this cold monologue that I had been fucking working on in my brain the entire time leading up to it. And then that never got to see the light of day. switched Don questions for the next day. You had an opportunity. You could have delivered it when you had the conversation with him the following morning. And then you didn't because you no longer had that objective. You did something else. And that that dramatically changed how play went. I There's so many things that can affect how play goes. There's so many little knobs and buttons you can press in this system that uh, change how the narrative flows. And because of that, and because it's like a, a system where that chaos is really important, uh, that, that narrative synergy, but that narrative chaos is really important so that people don't just constantly arrive at the same solutions. Um, I think it, it's, I don't know, it's beautiful. It works great. Big fan. And I want to reiterate that I I actually love that you don't know, because for me, uh, personally, there was a satisfaction in the fact that you didn't realize when I was no idea Don question (laughs) like that. That was yeah, that was just so exciting for me as a player to know that I managed to get it out and make it happen without it being obvious. Yeah. It's delightful for him too. Yeah, no, it's 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 really fun as a keeper. That's definitely my answer to the question. Um, that did cover all of our listener questions that we had for this post-apocalypse. Uh, our next segment is usually to talk about what's next, but actually, uh, I'm going to be recording another special thing for that. So just stick around. I'll probably just run that segment after the credits. I I want to thank each of you for playing this game with with me on this on these here microphones okay go ahead um, you said you wanted to thank each of us 
Uh, Tell me you majored in English without telling me you majored in English. You heard me go on about the cane earlier and how it's literally a crutch and also... Allegory. Um, No, thank thank each of you for playing this with me. When I was thinking... When I was conceiving of this game for the show, this was the group that I really wanted to play with. And thank you all for humoring me in that. And I hope here at the end of it that you can see why I was really excited to play it with you all. Uh, and I hope that you all had as much fun as I did. So when are we playing our next session? I do. <laughs> right after this. All right, let's. Uh, so now we're going to enter our final section of the post-apocalypse today, the, the sort of what comes next segment. Uh, in addition to some exciting announcements, we have, I guess, like top of the order, like the most exciting announcement. If you're into that sort of thing, to, today we have our like first ever Tota ad read. And like the really cool part about this is that it's not even for our show. It's not? No, no. So that's so, the cool part. <laughs> yeah. Well, hear me out. Hear me. Hear me. Hear me out. Hear me. Hear me. Hear me. So, us here assemble. Oh, oh, by the way, sorry. You've been listening to an episode that contains the cast from the between. Uh, we're about to rock your fucking world because what we have instead is still, I guess, half of the cast of the between, huh? Yeah. Uh, uh, right now we have Emma and Pat with me. Just the two of them. Uh, originally we were going to have Jell as well, but she could not make we were gonna have all four of the members of the tota brain trust but that's right couldn't be here (laughs) well the reason why the four of us were going to be gathered here uh was because myself emma pat gel are all going to be in an upcoming one shot playing monster of the week for the storyteller squad uh they have a series of crossovers they do with different shows uh natalie the host takes us through an exciting game where You'll be able to hear me for like one of the first time. Like, it's not the first time, but one of the first times ever on mic where I've been a player. Well, if so. David and I play in the same game it's together. Wild. Well, if and we only flirt a little bit. It's true. Yeah, I think me and David do more flirting hey, than you. Do. Yeah, but that's like my life. So it's true. What's up, baby? How you yo, living? Yo, it's not twin incest <laughs> if one of them's two years older than the other. That's right. Yeah. It's just incest. <laughs> uh, so on that note, the reason okay, why... maybe we shouldn't talk about incest <laughs> no, in this no, ad it's fine. it's fine, it's fine. Leave it the in. The reason it in. why we're doing this, this, this ad today, I haven't even talked about who the advertiser is. I'm keeping you on the hook, on, on the chain for this. Uh, the reason why we're doing it is because, uh, actually to benefit uh, Natalie's efforts in, in hiring some people to help with the editing burden of doing all of the fantastic crossovers, that they're doing for the Storyteller Squad right now, and we opted in to, to help out with that. So without further ado, uh, today's episode, well, actually not today's, a future episode of the Storyteller Squad <laughs> crossover series uh, is sponsored by Many Worlds Tavern, uh, an online coffee and tea company that uh, not only makes uh, fantastic coffee and tea products, as we're going to talk about in a minute, but also uh, caters to the gaming aficionados among us, uh, ourselves included, uh, with their products. And they're just really cool, like branding and stuff, too, to be honest. Oh, I'm kind of in love with it as somebody who 
is always in love with really cool art and world building stuff. Uh, yeah. Every every bit of it comes. Well, we haven't really talked about. Yeah, let's let's just talk about the stuff now. Uh, Many Worlds Tavern has a variety of of products on their page. We got to partake in a few delightful samples. Uh, we have Hazy Hills, which is an Earl Grey type of tea. We have Spiced Sands, which is a masala chai. Sage's Gate, uh, a mint and sage and lavender tea. Verdant Harbor, a jasmine green. And Dragon's Nest, uh, which is our only coffee in the list, a adventurous blend. What I was going to say whatever that means, but... It actually tells you exactly what that means. It does actually tell me exactly what that means. It's, it's, a, it's a lighter roast. It's got kind of some fruity notes to it. Emma will have more to say about that. I don't. It's got extremely fruity notes, it's too. It's got extremely fruity notes. It's delicious. Yeah. Well, quick question on the coffee first, since that's the, the only non-tea that, that we've sampled here today. Uh, what do you think of it, Emma? I've been making it for you for like a couple, couple, of, weeks. couple of weeks now. Yeah. Um, I generally do like a cup of coffee in the morning. David generally makes that for me. Uh, and yeah, he's been making me like cappuccinos or or mochas or that sort of thing with the coffee in it. And like one of my favorite things to have is like a raspberry mocha. And this stuff pairs so beautifully with that. It's got those really beautiful fruity notes. But honestly, even in just like a latte or like a cappuccino, because the flavor of the coffee is so it's very sweet. Without but not being sugary, if that makes sense. I don't know if it does. It's really, 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 really good. I just had a cup of coffee from another like fast casual place that's just out in the world that you probably know of when it comes to coffee. And I had a cup from them and all I could taste was how burnt it was. And like, I think that's because I've been doing much better coffee uh, with the Dragon's Nest. Uh, a really cool thing as well about both their coffee and tea products, and I think just all of their products, or at least anything that comes in a bag, uh, they have a, a program where a, a dollar of the profits from every sale for every for each bag goes to support different gaming-related nonprofits. They have that skew. I don't know if I've mentioned that enough, but like they, they talk about how you can pair their different you know, beverages, uh, the, the teas and coffees, to your gaming experience. And I'm drinking a, a a lovely Earl Grey. I'm I'm doing the Hazy Hills here today, uh, and having a great time. I tried it straight earlier, and I've, I'm having it kind of as a fog now with a bit of cream, and it is quite good. That's uh, a London fog for anybody who is not like a regular tea drinker. Yeah, fair. <laughs> and a thing that I wanted to do: everybody has like some tea, some tea and coffee in front of them here in the room, and just like if you were to pair your tea and coffee with one of the games we've played on the show. Uh, which one would you pair it with? And kind of like, what's your what's your reason why? I'm going to say for this lovely Earl Grey, I think in the, the fog form, with a little bit of cream. Uh, I like it as like a pig smoke drink. I feel very dark academia right now. Uh, and. <laughs> yeah. I really want just the quote from Dave. <laughs> I feel very dark academia right now. When do you not feel very dark academia, David? First thing in the morning when I feel like nothing at all. Fair. And if I'm just drinking the regular uh, Earl Grey, like no no splash milk or anything, uh, just the Hazy Hills, uh, then I don't know. It's it's very adventurous to me. So maybe maybe the watch, maybe Undying. Oh, actually, you know, very like I, I get kind of the noir vibes. So yeah, like Undying feels right. 
I can see that. No blood was used in the making of that tea. As far as we know. But yet it makes you still feel like a vampire. <laughs> no blood was used in the making of that tea. <laughs> Uh, how about how about you, Pat? Yeah, I'm doing the Spice Sands. It's a chai, and it's uh, very, very good. And let me tell you, I'm not even a chai guy, typically, but it's my favorite drink that we sampled from Mini World's Tavern. It's got... It, it, let me tell you. It, so when <laughs> when David opened the bag and was all like, smell of this, and I'm all like, all right, and I... Smelled it like a good, good book. And you sniffed it. <laughs> I sniffed it like a good, good book. And I'll tell you what, I was transported to like Christmas morning. It smelled amazing. God, I, it's still like lingering in my nostrils. God, it, it so smells like it smells good. Cinnamon, clove. Oh, it's it's the the best way that I can describe it is Christmas morning. Cinnamon, clove, yeah, all that. It it's it's Christmas morning. It's amazing. The taste of it is it's very like cinnamon and clove forward, and then after you've taken a sip and rested on it for a bit, it's like the best just like black pepper finish, and it's so good so what would you what kind of gaming experience would you pair it with uh honestly uh not just because it's the most fresh in my mind because it's what we just played but i would pair this with it go back and just from the beginning re-listen to all of our playthrough of <laughs> the between ghost of el pa- uh, ghost of el paso i think it would pair very nice with a listen of that yeah and the color and, comes out very very whiskey dark so yeah it would fit in real nice with the it's amazing it's got it's got like a rustic feel to it like vibes like i feel i feel like i want to go out into the main square of town and just walk around with my boots on it's amazing i i love this tea i don't don't think i can say it enough this is probably the best tea i've put in my mouth good i really do think that like on top of uh being so very fun themed as many worlds tavern is uh i really do think that their quality from everything yeah is really really high i everything's great i like everything i've put in my mouth everything everything i put in there's tasted good and I cannot say that about every tea I've purchased. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am drinking the, what was it, Verdant Harbor? Uh, yeah. Verdant I am drinking Harbor. the Verdant Harbor, which is the jasmine green tea. Um, I love jasmine green tea. And it's actually been a while since I've had it because I just haven't kept any stocked. And let me tell you, this fills that niche and then some. It is like, I, I smelled it and then I took a sip. And I was immediately transported to so many evenings in a little Chinese restaurant with the the metal teapot on the table, just like for everybody to to have. It's just it's that perfect restaurant quality as far as a a gaming experience to pair it with. I actually think I would go I was like debating a little bit. But I think I'm going to go with uh, Ghost Lines mm. because, like, 
you drink it and you know that you're not just drinking water, but it is very light on the palate and you get that aromatic really strongly. But then like it kind of develops in your mouth as it goes. And I feel like that is a very ghost related kind of experience. Perfect for ghost hunters and ghost hunting horses alike. Exactly. (laughs) It is hilarious to me with how much we talk about food and stuff that like we haven't just sat down and done something like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really funny. This was supposed to be a fairly short spot, but we're just like really getting into talking about the things because they taste good. (laughs) So, so oh God, is there anything I was supposed to say as part of this? Uh, Oh, I mean, of course, like, as we've described, the the, the energy and, and the quality of the products pair really nicely with the gaming experience. The, the caffeine can help boost, keep you awake for those long gaming sessions mm-hmm. that we are known to have on this show. I don't know what Pat, you're do you think about. if you had had a cup of the, of the spiced sands, do you think that you would have been able to stay awake during Apocalypse World <laughs> when we played? I, listen, I want to say yes, but I was so tired that caffeine killed so much. It would have helped for sure. Yeah, (laughs) I was so tired that day, though. Well, in addition to the quality product and the the dollar given back per bag to charity, um, also you, dear listener, right now, um, there's going to be a link in the description for this as well. But uh, the first hundred of you to use uh, our code TOTA twenty three T O T A two three toe to 23 the, the first hundred of you who use that uh will get that get that benefit get that 10 percent off but see the thing is it's not actually the first hundred it's gonna be the first 99 because i'm gonna be that number one i'm sorry to say i'm, I'm definitely gonna pick up <laughs> it's actually this. gonna be 98 because i'm gonna be that too <laughs> we really liked the stuff that we tried uh everything we've mentioned i would happily put my name behind uh it, it was really good yeah um and so if that's something that interests you, something you want to bring to your table, uh, check out Many Worlds Tavern. Link will be in the show notes for you to go and try. Don't forget that TOTA 23 for 10% off. It's so important to drink some sort of hot liquid while you're... Hydrate or dihydrate? That, I mean, yes, hydrate or dihydrate, but also so important to drink some kind of hot liquid to relax the throat for those long... Oh, yeah. Role-playing sessions, especially if you are using some kind of character voice. So, oh, yes. Highest use case And right there. we recommend many that you Tavern. use Many Worlds Tavern for such a thing. <laughs> uh, so thank Specifically you. Specifically the chai. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> so th- and that code again, one more time. TOTA23. T-O-T-A-2-3. All caps if that's your vibe. Uh so yeah, find the link there, uh, and thank you again, Many Worlds Tavern, for sponsoring not this episode, but a future episode. And thank you, Natalie, for running that yeah. future episode. For the Storyteller Squad, which you should absolutely Go check, check out, out their show. It's a wonderful show. I play a sentient um, fork truck. It's great. Well, I'm a witch. I'm just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then gel plays a fabing yeah so gel plays gel i guess yeah uh, <laughs> fabing yeah they do uh anyway go check that out uh we'll have links to that uh, eventually just check our feed and we'll we'll send you their way once that premieres later this later this summer um and the other thing i wanted to mention here in our what comes next is this is going to be uh our, our last episode of the main podcast for a little while 
maybe even the whole year. Uh, there's like some hiatus stuff probably in our future as far as being able to edit and stuff. Emma and you I can blame me. I can be the bad guy. Uh, it will be for the rest of the year because David has other things he needs to focus on. And as much as we love doing the podcast, we really do both of us like there are other things in our lives we just have to give some time to. Yeah, uh, we we look forward to coming back to the fully produced show soon. However, um, I'm to wet that sweet, sweet Toda appetite. The, the reason why I'm not sounding too down and out about that is that in the meanwhile, uh, because it, it means I don't have to edit like 20 plus hours per hour of final audio. Uh, we're going to be doing some like Toda streams. Uh, our you first get... one is coming up soon. And all of those bloopers that Plus, we talk about, like, constantly, <laughs> the ones that... You, you'll get them live. Yeah. The ones that, like, Pat edits out and then, well, David edits out and then Pat puts back in for the patrons. Like, you just get to see that. Yeah. For free, online. Yeah. You get to see David's anchor at us in real time. <laughs> Plus, it gives you the opportunity to see their pretty faces and my well face. Oh, you got a pretty face. Uh, Your beard is great. My beard is great. My beard is beautiful. But <laughs> you can look forward. And you can see Pat's beard. You can look forward to our first ever Toda stream. Uh, we are going to be this I, Saturday. You, wow. Wh when is it, Pat? You tell me more. You, you know all about it. It's this Saturday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Yeah, who's going to be in it? What are we doing? Oh, we're doing another story of our Monster of the Week campaign. Yeah, you so. remember when uh, Pat played Rodney and I played Nova and Jill played Froctor Og and Zach played Lenny uh, and we were all on the Starship Scholastic? We're going to do that again. We're going back to space. You can look forward to that. Uh, first stream is going to be this coming Saturday, uh, the 17th of What platform June. are we streaming that on? We're streaming on YouTube, uh, the site where I watch all of my video content. It's where I watch all my video content. Yeah, no, we're going to be streaming on YouTube. Uh, you can find us at youtube.com forward slash uh, the at sign trials live uh, spelled like the word trials. T-R-I-A-L-S live. L-I-V-E. I thought that was live. Trials live? Trials live. Trials live. At trials live. Baby. Now at trials, trials live, dog. Yeah, or you can just find the link in the show notes. The trials, they live. As in trials will live on on the streams that we're doing yeah. the rest of the year. And not only are we doing a stream this coming Saturday, uh, we're actually the following Saturday. We're making the assumption that when we get this group together to record Monster of the Week, that we're not going to finish. It's going to get derailed. In a single day. Remember the whole... If for no other reason, me and Jell are going to be in it together. Yeah. yeah. We're going to shoot for a three-hour sessions both times. Uh, going to start roughly 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Again, deets will be in the show notes, as well as we'll uh, probably put a text post out onto this feed time of so that you can be aware that it's going out that day. But Going out that going day. Going out that day. Kind Where was that voice again? in the between? I, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, but he hadn't been po possessed by that particular ghost yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, Remember, we released the ghost at the end from... Uh, Oh, sorry. Spoilers for... Uh, wait, we're in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> we're in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> if, yeah. they, if they Spoil haven't Spoilers listened. for the between Ghost of El Paso. If you, they, why are you here yeah. at the end of this episode right now? <laughs> That's usually my joke, too. If they're listening to the post-apocalypse without listening to the 
story beforehand. That's on them. Yeah. But yeah. Next two Saturdays, 17th, 24th of June. Uh, we stream in 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash at Trials Live. That's the at sign. T-R-I-A-L-S-L-I-V-E. Uh, you can find us there. It's going to be a good time. The VODs will be up afterwards on that same channel. We'll find out if Rodney try- dies again. Maybe we'll find out why Rodney is the way he is. Who knows? In our heart of hearts, we know why Rodney Maybe we'll find out if Lenny's wings work or not. <laughs> those those little butterfly wings he got at the end of the last These one. questions and many more could, soon. Could be answered <laughs> could, soon. Could, could. Could. Yeah, sorry. Asterisk could be answered We soon. don't know what's going to happen because we haven't played yet. Sure haven't. Uh, either way, I hope you join us then. Have a lovely day, and we'll talk to you again next time. Bye. 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 Now back to the rest of the... Post-apocalypse. Oh, this is the end. This is the end. Yeah. This is the end we of the post-apocalypse. Yeah, this is the end. Oh, we got to. Cl- no, then let's close it out. Real, my boy. You just did. No, nah, let's close it out. <laughs> but we, what I'm saying, we we closed it out. <laughs> hey, kids, the sun's getting real low, <laughs> and we think maybe it's time to wrap things up, go home for the day. But don't you worry, we'll be back real soon. My batteries are low and it's getting dark. Don't you bring opportunity into this. Don't you do that to me. I'm not over that shit yet. You're still not over that shit? I'm still not over He fucking sings happy birthday to himself. Bye, everybody. Bye.